Let's go to our top story. We learned today William Maker has been charged with foreign interference. The retired Mountie is alleged to have helped identify and intimidate an individual on behalf of the Chinese government. He has been charged with two counts under the rarely used Security of Information Act. Uh, Mr. Maker, who is 60, lives in Hong Kong, uh, was picked up Thursday night in Vancouver during a visit to Canada. Now, according to the RCMP's press release, uh, Maker allegedly used his knowledge and his extensive network of of contacts in Canada to obtain intelligence or services on behalf uh, or to benefit the People's Republic of China. Here is Inspector David Boudouin, who's head of Montreal's Integrated National Security Team, uh, commenting on the arrest. The criminal allegations that he's currently facing are alleged to have taken place between 2014 and 2019, so seven years after his uh, employment with the RCMP. Now, the RCMP says uh, an investigation into Mr. Maker uh, uh, alleged suspicious activities and was first launched in the fall of 2021. So who is William Maker? Joining me now to talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Maker uh, is John Daly, former host of CKNW's Back on the Beat and former Global News investigative journalist. John, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a real pleasure, Jazz. And man, this is uh, this is like a movie script. This is just out of the park. Uh, it is. You know, you and I have been talking throughout the day on this on this story. Tell me a little bit about this gentleman. Who is he? Well, uh, Bill Maker, uh, basically, uh, you know, he started off as a, a young cop in Richmond for the RCMP. Uh, he somehow got his, uh, he got his corporal rank and he went undercover in uh, 2000 or so, and he became the key undercover agent in a JFO, a joint forces operation with the RCMP and the FBI involving Colombian drug lords, money laundering, and a Vancouver lawyer named Martin Chambers. Hmm. So, uh, and Chambers went down on this thing, and and, uh, apparently uh, Bill Maker was the key witness in the case in Florida, and Chambers got 15 years. Now, there's a wrinkle to this whole thing. It was alleged by Chambers' lawyer that Maker may have had an affair with the judge who sentenced Chambers to 15 years. The news reports at the time indicated that the Florida judge may indeed have had an affair with the very good-looking Maker, but if there was such an affair, it was after Chambers was sentenced for his 15 years. Mm. So anyway, that, that Chambers case catapulted Maker from corporal to inspector And then he became the head of the RCMP's brand new in British Columbia integrated market enforcement team, IMET, which was designed to crack down on phony stock deals and money laundering, which was obviously something he knew about. So that was sort of the the RCMP's big shiny ball about we're going to go after white collar criminals. We're a city or a province known for the Vancouver Stock Exchange and cancer cures and everything else we've been peddling for the last 20 or 30 years. We have this notorious reputation. And this guy after this court case uh, in, in, in Florida, was be, was going to be the guy. So his career was on the up, up and up. He got, the, oh yeah, he was, he was a rocket. He was an RCMP rocket going to the top. And, you know, in, in a way, uh, you could sort of understand it because Maker had actually been a trader, like a floor trader, uh, or a stock trader, rather, in, in London. So he knew money markets and he knew stocks. Hmm. And so that was, you know, that was a big advantage. That was well before he joined the RCMP. But then he ran as a conservative candidate in Richmond. 
and apparently uh, didn't follow all of the uh, protocols in terms of, you know, taking leave of absence from your work and all that kind of stuff, allegedly, anyway. So, and uh, so, so then he left the RCMP. So basically, and, I, and I, you know, when RCMP officers have run uh, for public office, I, I would have... He got uh, elected, some of them. Like yeah, exactly. The in, uh, no, but, sorry. But, but, you, but you basically go in and say, I'm taking a leave of absence, yeah. and I'm going to run, and he, he didn't fo- follow the, the proper uh, the protocol. And I think it was for... Oh. Uh, a conservative nomination, I think, in the Vancouver suburb. Yeah, in in Richmond, That's it right. says here. Um, what, what what is interesting here? So, uh, and I recall that time. I think when he was asked, he he said he was in regards to just running this new organization that was going to tackle white collar crime in, in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a guy who's just got this great job. Uh, he, he's got a rock, rocket ship in regards to his career. He's moving on up, and all of a sudden he's yeah. gonna he's gonna he run. With, he goes for the fe- <laughs> the nomination for the federal conservatives, yeah. and, and and I was reading somewhere that he said, "Well, why are you running for office?" He just goes, "I'm I'm frustrated with the inability uh, that we can't sort of persuade Crown Council to lay mm-hmm. charges in several cases." So basically, you're saying, "Look, I can't do my job." Um, so. Because, because I'm going to well, that that, and I'm going to make changes as a, as a public Change servant to finally. Do yeah, it. I'll get to, I'll go to Ottawa and I'll fix the law. So you know? I mean, he's a go-getter. You got to give him credit. No, yeah, he's he's moving. That's for sure. No one's doubting his ambition. Um, I'm curious. Uh, now, so he, he he left the RCMP, yeah. and and so did he. Now you were talking about his his his, his uh, experience in bonds and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the market. Uh, does anybody know how experienced he truly was? Like, uh, do you know of anybody who can speak to his experience prior to joining do, the RCMP? I do actually know some people, but to be honest with you, they haven't called me back. I'm waiting for them to get to okay. me, and you may get them on uh, come Monday. I suspect. Yeah, let's, let's hope event, so. He's out, he, he, you know, he, he's got a company. He moved to Hong Kong. Okay. And he started a company that basically involves cybersecurity and the recovery of foreign assets for both companies and governments. And he told the uh, Australian uh, Broadcasting Corporation uh, that he, uh, he's the head of this company called EMIDR. Uh, which is involved in getting uh, assets back. He says, as long as the claim is valid and as long as we're doing everything lawfully and properly, I'm a hired gun to help either large corporates or governments to get back what is rightfully theirs. So he's made no, uh, you know, uh, sort of a sort of bones about the fact that he, he works for governments. But when, he, when it comes to China's Ministry of Public Security, he was very careful he said, I have a commercial relationship with entities that are in themselves associated in some form or another with policing authorities in China. Uh, but he doesn't say that he is actually working for the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. Now, Jazz, uh, since we spoke earlier, I did speak with one source who says this case hinges on a, a, a document. Hmm. that he has in his possession or he was alleged to have had in his possession and, you know, whether or not he was supposed to have that document or not, which goes to the issue of the conspiracy charge, because the conspiracy must involve two people or a person and an entity. Hmm. There's got to be another person on the side of the equation to to form a conspiracy at law. Mm -hmm. So maybe somebody said, yeah, I, I slipped him a document or something. Maybe they didn't. Maybe he didn't know that, that he wasn't supposed to have it. I mean, he is innocent until proven guilty. 
you know, and it's it, you know yourself with these complicated cases how long it can take and whether the crown will give final approval to once you know once they've got some uh, some more disclosure, and, and they'll proceed with the case. Yeah, and, and having lived and worked in China, everything is murky over there because ultimately, mm-hmm. it, if you're a private corporation. Uh, I don't care who you are. We've seen this as high-profile CEOs in China and running tech companies, real estate companies who have a tendency to go missing. You are ultimately beholden to the Communist Party of China. And totally. it can be through an intermediary. You could have a client who's mm-hmm. hired, hired you to uh, you know, uh, focus on cybersecurity, but that client may be beholden to a security, uh, a security apparatus somewhere within this giant bureaucracy that is Chinese government. You don't know. And that's no. one of the challenges is even if you go over there as a consultant, whatever you may be, uh, ultimately mm-hmm. you're, st- you're still uh, at the whim of the Communist Party and, and, and uh, the security apparatus, especially yeah. especially in this particular era uh, when it comes to China and the rest and the West. Yeah, it's a very tense time between China and the West. And China, you know, up front, they've been operating, uh, you know, Operation Dragon and all sorts of other projects to recover assets which they claim you know, Chinese nationals who've left the country and some of whom have come to Canada have uh, improperly uh, taken or placed in, in other, you know, say, foreign banks and, and for other foreign places. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, was he doing that? Was he actually part of Project Dragon? Who knows? You know, did he, if he was, did he know it? Yeah. Did well, he have, does he have mens rea? You know, this could be a very, very interesting case. Yeah, I, it's going to be if it ever gets to trial. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting, and we'll certainly uh, follow it uh, throughout the weekend as well. John, thank you so much. My pleasure. Anytime, Jazz.